Okay. Um, this afternoon, I was um, had a long conversation with someone in Australia, where uh, the, the particular person I was speaking to, we know very well. Uh, he's forty-seven years old, um, has a wife and two daughters, one of whom is married. And they live in one of the Australian cities, um, a city that we actually know very, very well, where we lived. And he was talking about the future. And they felt really led of the Lord to move to Tasmania um, a number of years ago and they got there and one of the things they did was to buy a quite a large block of land outside Hobart and they just sensed that God had a purpose in it but nothing came of it they still own the land they never built anything um, but they're at a stage now where they're wondering what the Lord has for them, whether they should move back to, to Hobart, to Tasmania, and whether they should build on that land. So they've asked another man who's an architect, again someone we know very well, if he would consider designing some sort of building. And we were talking about this, and I guess there's uncertainty in their hearts. Lord, what do you want? Um, what do you want? And as we were talking, I said to them, well, do you think it's always going to be like this? If some of you know the Australian church scene, um, I can remember many, many years ago, you've all heard of hill songs, and uh, I can remember many years ago preaching in the church that became hill songs. And the incredible growth, the incredible happenings, the the things that have taken place in Australian churches, um, Planet Shakers and other groups and now something that's called Kingdom City and uh, incredibly attractive to younger people. But I said, well, do you think it's always going to be this way? Because this particular couple can't really find much fellowship in those, in those churches. And they, like some of the rest of us around the world, are realizing that this, this virus is something that the Lord is wanting to use to prune back his, his people from the excrescences that have been uh, added, that have grown up. 
And um, it's almost as though he's wanting to ready the church for days ahead where the church is going to have to discover true simplicity and true spiritual life. Um, It's important that we think that way. And so I said to this brother in the Lord, well, do you think that maybe God will lead in that direction that you do go back to Hobart, that you do build, and that you, having land, will find yourselves, the Lord bringing people to your house, to your place, and that the Lord's people will begin to gather in simplicity. And we were at a meeting this morning, um, Hazel and I, and one of the good things that I have seen and observed in uh, a number of meetings is that the removal, because the law, we're not officially supposed to sing, one of the things that I've, we've observed is that instead of the first 30 minutes being taken up with so-called worship, um, the band and so on, instead there is a participation of people who would never have spoken, like uh, in the meeting out of probably 25 people in the meeting, at least 10 contributed. And it was helpful. It was what you could call biblically edifying. Um, That's the Bible word. It was upbuilding. And not only upbuilding for the hearer, but for some of us, when you speak things out, it corroborates things in your own heart as you bring testimony and you say things. Um, You know, a long, long while ago, uh, as I was looking back uh, on another occasion, it's interesting, someone, uh, an old friend, sent me a book And it's a notebook, and uh, I hadn't seen that book since 1968. And he had discovered it, and he said, Bernard, maybe you would be interested in this. And um, I recognized it straight away. It was the book that I had used to write songs Uh, for the band that I was then in. We sang all our own material and it was very varied um, and some of it was recorded and so on. But what I was so aware of was, um, you know, the, the words that I wrote in those days that expressed what was going on in our hearts as young men, um, the five of us in the band, and uh, 
I remember one of the songs that came back to my mind. I've got a fire in my bones since Jesus came in. It was a rhythm and blues song. <laughs> and uh, um, <laughs> and uh, we had a proper soloist or a guy who sang who was our vocalist but for the more raucous things I was the singer <laughs> but I thought to myself that's right that was our testimony we had a fire in our bones um, it, and it's another song which I arranged in five part harmony which we sang a cappella it was called Such Love, uh, all about God's love for us. And it was an unusual thing to five, f- five men going on five separate mics and singing in, in five-part harmony, which was quite complex. But again, we were singing about the great love that God has for us. And that was partly the fruit of what was God had been doing, not only in our hearts, but in the hearts of many others. And in all honesty, we could not care less whether we had a guitar or didn't have one, um, whether the meeting was jam-packed so you could hardly move, um, disconcerting for some visitors that because they would say, well, who's the leader? Who's in charge? Um, But this was the fruit of the Spirit's workings in those days. And as, as usually happens, and of course, those of us who ministered or shared the word of the Lord experienced a great liberty, a great freedom, And I'm in 1 Corinthians tonight because I want to say a little bit about the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus as it pertains to the ministers in God's church, those who participate. Um, And I want to draw out one or two scriptures in 1 Corinthians and possibly the second. You you all understand that the whole of life is governed by law. So, for instance, some of you will have done a lot of flying like we have done. And it is remarkable, the clouds sometimes when you're above them are most beautiful. And they seem almost solid. And you almost feel that you could uh, step out and walk on the clouds. But you know well that you would be breaking a law. Um, The law of gravity if you did that. You see, everything is governed by law. So, for instance, one of the laws that Paul speaks about, though only though Jesus had spoken of it earlier, he had said 
that which is flesh is not going to be turned into spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. That's all it will ever be. And he was talking about um, the way that, uh, well, if you think Paul uses the word flesh, and he says something, again, a law, if you sow to the flesh, that's what you'll reap. And he that sows to the Spirit will reap. Will reap Spirit. And the, these, this law, and we, we try to, you know, you, you, the law of sin and death, the soul that sinneth, it will die. And you remember, that's, that's law. And the Lord God had said to Adam, hadn't he, that you will surely die if you, if you rebel my commandment, you'll surely die. That was law. But Adam didn't die for, was it the best part of 900 years? But he did die. He did die. Now that was law. And those that sow to the Spirit, they will reap from the Spirit. They'll reap the fruit of the Spirit. And so everything is governed by law in God's creation. And the same thing is true in God's church. That if we allow our meetings to be sowing to the emotions, that's what we will reap. Emotional response. That's all we will reap. Emotional uh, release, which will be temporary, uh, never permanent. But if we sow to the Spirit, and of course, we will then reap that fruit that comes from the Spirit. So put that into the realm of evangelism, for instance, so-called. I'm, I'm not sure how many of us realize that nobody talked about evangelism till about 120 years ago. The ISM was never added. People talked about the evangel, the gospel. They talked about the evangelist. But they never talked about evangelism as a thing. It is actually a sign of departure. Because part of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is of course that we will have outreaching hearts. It's a fruit of true spiritual life. You will love your neighbor. You will love your neighbor. I asked the leader 
of our church and the little church we're part of if I could share a word in the next two or three weeks. Because the Lord, I said, the Lord's just laid a little word on my heart for, for you as a church. And it's, it's all to do, really, with the God who just wants to gather us in to his ways and his laws and the laws of his kingdom. And, you know, when Paul is talking about his own ministry, um, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, uh, he, he talks about uh, a, a very wonderful, I'm in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, and he says this, Uh, woe to me chapter 9 verse 16 end of the verse woe to me if I do not preach the gospel for if I do this of my own will I have a reward but if not of my own will I'm entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my preaching, I may make the gospel free of charge. Not making full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all. Some versions say servant, but the word is doulos. Um, in fact, it, it's, it's an unusual construction. It's the only time in the New Testament when you have this word slave in this particular way. I have enslaved myself. I have enslaved myself. Um, part of the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus, working ministerially, where you, you know that our Lord Jesus, the law of his, his life was enslavement to the will of his father. And he, when he came to earth, worked that kind of life out. The absolute antithesis of the first man, Adam. The first man, Adam, did not enslave himself to the will of God. He did not enslave himself Instead, he enslaved himself. I'm free. He was free. He was free to take the fruit or not take the fruit, but he enslaved himself. And Paul, when Jesus came, 
you, everyone here knows that God's ways are always the second man. Everyone knows that, don't they? Not Adam, but Christ. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. Not Cain, but Abel. Everyone understanding. Not Saul, but David. All the way through. It's almost as though the Lord has to bring us through. I already said to someone earlier today, someone else that I was talking to, do not be downcast at your failure. Do not be downcast at the period of your laziness where you failed to avail yourself of the opportunity that, is, that was presented to you. Do not be downcast because usually with many of us God takes us through our own failure into the second thing. On the second time, we avail ourselves of the opportunity. Do not be downcast that you've wasted months and months and months where God gave you opportunity. Learn by it so that with diligence, now as a second opportunity is coming, you avail yourself. You lay hold. Very important. And Paul says, though I'm free, and you, you might ask me why I'm touching on this, because one of the things that I've heard again and again, we're free. You know, understand that Paul was hearing that, uh, in Corinth, they were saying, we were, we're free. Uh, you know, the law's gone. Uh, we're free to eat meats offered to idols. You know, we're free. And some of them have got so ridiculous that, uh, you know, they'd almost become, we're free enough to, you know, there was a teaching, wasn't there? We're free enough to sort of do what we like with our bodies. You know, if we want to have uh, have promiscuous sex, you know, it's not going to affect our spirit. Ridiculous things that some of them had gotten into. We're free. Jesus has made us free. The gospel has made us free from the law. Um, you know, we... We're free to, to drink and be drunk. And as you know, in the church at Corinth, he says in chapter 11, some of you, when you gather, you're drunk. You're drunk. And isn't it's a remarkable thing to reflect, but it was based upon an idea that we're free. And I already mentioned, you see, um, I, I'm sorry to say these things, but, you know, this kind of spirit has gotten into the charismatic, evangelical um, 
churches, especially among the under-30s, well, we're free. We gave our hearts to Jesus. We believe we're going to heaven. It doesn't matter. We're not under law. You know, the amount of, I could tell you stories of people who've come to me and open their hearts as the convicting power of God's spirit because they've sowed into this false liberty and they've, re- they've, they've reaped broken hearts, they've reaped lack of assurance, they've reaped, you know, um, I, it's an amazing thing to to reflect upon this. And yet Paul says, that, yes, yes, we're free. Yes, yes, uh, I, I, though I am free, though he's made me free from all men, I've made myself, I've enslaved myself to all, that I might win the more. Um, you know, he's, he's living by a law of the Spirit that's in Christ Jesus. This is part of it. Where you become enslaved to the will of God. Again, I was writing to someone's snail mail yesterday. Um, This person writes to me snail mail, so I reply, snail mails. And uh, it's a young person um, who's just started university Um, And I I wrote to that person and one of the things that I was talking about was what do you seek? You see, it's one of, I encouraged her to study Jesus' questions. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone through the Gospels with a little notebook and written down Jesus' questions? Um, because they're very penetrating and they're questions that really, you know, not what did you have for dinner yesterday, you know, but one of Jesus' first questions to people who began to follow him was, what do you seek? One of the first questions. People had begun to follow him. Amen? Amen. And what do you seek? Now that's a penetrating question. And if you'd have come to me when I was 19 years old um, and battling through late teens in church life and playing music and doing this and doing that and, and so on, I know what I would have answered Jesus, I'm, I'm seeking you. I want to know you. And then as I went further on, I would have been a bit clearer. I want to be like you, Lord. So although I was interested in church, Although I was interested in real church, although I was interested in, in uh, gifts and ministries, 
and the workings of the church, my central desire was to be like Jesus. So that one of our favourite songs in those days was, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. You know, and as I look back in retrospect, if I was to ask many of the younger people today, well, what are you seeking? If Jesus was to say, they wouldn't know. You know, and that certainly wouldn't figure What, to be like Jesus? To know where you live? Because you remember that the disciples, they answered Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 1, when he said, what do you seek? They answered him by saying, where dwellest thou? Where are you living? I want to find... I mean, that's a... It's a strange thing for them to say. But it's almost as though God the Father was already working in them and causing them to confess out that which is the center of everything. I want to live where you live. I want to dwell where you dwell. It's, It's again, it's that law of life that's in in Christ Jesus the incredible drive uh, to love to belong to find home and you know I I love the way that Paul um, expresses himself this way Yes, I'm free, but there's a law working in me. And if I may put my finger on it, you know, I have to spend time on the computer or on the iPad, and I I get sent these things that, you know, I have to look at some ministry over there in the United States or some ministry over there in Australia and they're putting out some material and up comes this in, and sometimes it lasts a minute, sometimes it doesn't, where they're asking, click, subscribe, send us money so that we can keep going. Um, you know, the mercenary side. It's not according to the law of the Spirit. Yeah, we're free to do it. But Paul is going to comment down here. You know, I sat on a plane flying, I think, to Oklahoma years ago within the United States. And a man sat next to me And we began to talk, which is unusual for me. I tend to go into travel mode. And, um, but anyway, we began to talk and he said to me, well, you're, you're not from here where you're from in those days when we were living in Australia. I'm from Australia. And uh, he said, what are you doing here? And uh, I said, well, I'm actually speaking in churches. And he said to me, you're not one of those horrible charismatics, are you? (laughs) 
And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, the stuff we get on the TV. He said, I'm not a Christian, but I'd never want to become a Christian. All they're after is money. You see. Paul lived by another law. The law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. He adjusted his life so that he wasn't uh, trying to get money out of people. In fact, in his case, he talks about giving things freely. Just like Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. You know, there are laws for the ministers. And he mentions it here. He says, yes, you've got rights. And I suppose, you know, all I'm saying tonight is wrapped around the, the word slave and law and free and rights. You have rights. Um, because he, earlier on in the chapter he says, Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are my seal, or the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to our food and drink? Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? You know, and of course Paul is saying, no, we've we got the rights. You know, a so who goes as a soldier to serve at his own expense? Verse 7, who plants a vineyard? without eating any of its fruit, who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. And then he says, even the law says these things. And, but he's talking all about rights which he has not claimed his rights. You understand that this liberates a man. In the last year two of our friends linked with missions with missionary societies I won't say their names not critical people one a lady and Africa another a man in Europe they have left the missionary societies because of the control element where the mission thought they had rights. And they've left. 
they've left. And it's, it's an amazing thing. Why are you saying this, Bernard? Because there is a profound simplicity in true liberty. There is a profound simplicity in a church that is living by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There is a profound simplicity that leads you into a life where you become um, enslaved to God, his ways, where you become enslaved to becoming a servant to all. There's, There's an inversion of things that takes place which is rather hard to define where you're free and yet you're bound with a deeper binding where you are uncommitted but committed with a deeper commitment where you are apparently shut up and yet loosed There is something and Paul is is right here and he, he, I'm back in verse 20. He says to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law Uh, that I might win those under the law to those outside the law I became as one outside the law and then this is the important bit not being without law toward God but under the law of Christ that's the important bit that I might win those outside the law to the weak I became weak here's a man living by a deeper law a much deeper law I'm not under I'm not under external law but I'm under law to Christ the law of love the law of service I've enslaved myself to serve you I've enslaved myself to God in order to to not serve the mission and the aims of the mission this is one of the reasons why people don't grow in faith. This is why people often don't change. Because they live in a safe zone within a certain, the parameters of church habit, of the way of doing things. And this connects up, of course, with the simplicity in which the church becomes elastic 
for different circumstances into which it moves. Where perhaps in days to come, real church will be hidden away in places outside Hobart, Australia, or up there on what they call the mountain, up up, up north of Gurley, up in the hills. This is for people on the, on the thing. Where the people will begin to gather in the simplicities where they're living by a law that is liberating them and that perhaps we're moving toward that where things will be changed and perhaps there will be a group meeting in Heathfield another group meeting in Rora maybe Rora will become a hub where people will be free to gather in simplicity and I could go on like this because you know that <clears throat> the beast of the revelation or the beasts of the revelation and the Babylon you understand that they are completely antagonistic. The law of their life is the law of sin and death. It is death to the saints. It is, in fact, the central death in their law is deicide. They want to commit deicide. Kill God. It is the law of the serpent's life. It is the law of those who ally themselves and who live in the flesh and carry on in the flesh. And great are the mercies of the Lord when for some of us who drift back into the ways of the flesh, great are his mercies when he draws near to us the Lord and arrests us and say, no, this is not the law of your life. You are to sow to the Spirit. So here's Paul in, in the, the language of chapter 9. This is him sowing to the Spirit. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. But 
I do not box as one beating the air, but I pommel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's living by the law of life that's in Christ Jesus where he is bringing the totality of his being into the obedience of Christ. The totality, his time, his body, there's nothing aimless, Everything, you see, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You know, if, if I was to say to you, um, the law of his life will sow to the spirit and you will reap meekness. Sow to the spirit and you will reap self-discipline. So to the spirit and sleep will not become something that has dominion over you. So to the spirit and alcohol will not be an issue for you. So to the spirit and from the inward parts of you, chocolate will not be a bondage to you. I mean, it sounds a silly thing to say, but I well remember a very large lady who used to come to our fellowship with her husband. And uh, I don't know whether chocolate was ever mentioned in this particular meeting, but I do remember her falling on her knees and repenting for the fact that her life was dominated by chocolate. So that our old Jeanette was chocolate, really, and she was the size of a house. And um, as they say in Ireland, she was a very large lady. And the Lord came with power to her and loosed her from this, you know, <laughs> it's... It sounds an amazing thing, but part of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the liberation of us into the dimensions where we sow to the spirit and we reap liberty from bondages to things that, you know, are not in themselves sin, but have become sin to us because they control us. And I see this about wealth and money and ownership of properties and these sorts of things. You know, there is a, a profound and wonderful loosing that the Lord wants to give us. So, you know, <clears throat> when I, I think of these kinds of things, I, I want to take you into the second letter. Uh, sorry, the 15th chapter of this first letter and comment on some things that 
Paul says here that are intensely personal to him. And he's, he's talking about what he is. And here it is. Now, I would remind you, brethren, this is the first verse, in what terms I preach to you the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. I delivered to you what I received. Important that. What are we receiving? What have you received? I'm not talking about what did you receive when you went to Bible college. Most of us have not been. uh, I, of course, went through such a place and so on. But he's not talking about receiving that. He's not talking about receiving that. You see, the ministers of God, part of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus as pertains to God's ministers, is that they receive something from the Lord. They receive. And you have something. If you've received something, Um, you know that the gifts of the Spirit, the ministries of the Spirit, they are gifts. You and I do not earn them. They are gifts. And they are yours. And let me say something very scary to you now. That a man can receive a gift by which from God, by the Spirit, he preaches. He may prophesy and continue and then he moves away from the place of self-discipline and walking as a slave to the Lord, he does not lose the gift. He can still use the gift. He can still preach. He can still prophesy. But now it is the energies of his flesh that are sustaining them. You see, because he's received them. And the scripture says, the gifts and the callings of God, God does not change his mind about them. They remain. And isn't that a terrible thing? I remember so well a conversation with a man who was a friend of mine in very early days who was probably one of the most gifted men that I ever knew as a young man. And he 
walked away from the Lord and the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, he did not keep himself in the life. But he continued to minister. He became fascinated. He befriended elderly ladies and they loved him and they gave him money and he he bought houses and Things happened and he went round the world ministering, carried on. And I won't say all that happened to him. And I met up with him uh, several years later and I said to him, brother, because I know he was still my brother. A brother had gone wrong and I said to him, Brother, are you still moving in discernment? Are you still seeing things about people? And he said, oh yes. Oh yes. And I said, but how about your heart? Are you living in the purity of God? I knew he wasn't. And he said, no. And I said, then by what power are you now discerning? Same gift, but now being operated by his flesh. And he said, yes, I know I'm operating by my flesh. And sometimes, he said, even by a clairvoyant spirit, he knew He knew, because he wasn't living in this life of being enslaved to God, to Jesus Christ. Absolutely enslaved to his will. Uh, Absolutely enslaved. I've made myself a slave. Isn't that incredibly serious? To think of that kind of thing. I received, you see. I received. And Paul will say that, and Peter could say, I received the gospel that I preached to you. I received these gifts. And then the the second thing, of course, is, and are you still living by the power of the one from whom you received the gifts? Are you sharing you know, these are very serious things for us ministers, those of the, us who are ministers, because who share the word of the Lord, who talk to others. You know, we all should be within our realms talking to others. You see, by what spirit do we speak it out? By what spirit are those that we are delivering the word to or sharing with, are they simply, um, what should I say, material to get saved? You see, one of the things of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, of course, is that people are people. They are living persons. 
they are not fodder for the evangelical machine. Are you getting me? You see, this is that they are men and women who are broken and 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 lost, and whom God may bring across your path. And you know, this is the life in and the life of the Lord coming through us. And Paul was like this, so that you know. I mean, I think this is one of the things in which some pastors and preachers can err where they go through a season of great disappointment. The church disappoints them. The young men disappoint them. You know, the the young families disappoint you know, uh, I was saying last night um, on this Zoom meeting I was doing that if I was to try and define the last hundred years, which is a century, I would call it this, the century of self. That's the century that we've lived through, some of us for way more than 70 years. The century of self. And I quoted, uh, and this is in the church, unfortunately. You see where self predominates. And I was quoting I don't know if you ever saw a show on the TV. I only saw a couple of them called Monk. And he was a kind of uh, exceedingly clever, self-oriented expert in, you know, mystery. And uh, there is, I never saw this one, but someone quoted it to me, where Monk is involved with a couple who've just suffered a great loss. They've been greatly bereaved. And this is a very typical monk statement. And he says to them, is there anything that I can do for you in your sorrows that will not inconvenience me? (laughs) Is there anything I can do for you in your sorrows that will not inconvenience me. And that is so symptomatic. And I know one pastor friend of mine who at the moment, and I, as I share with him at times, I I sense his disappointment because the young families in his church, they they'll only do a little bit in the church that won't inconvenience them. That won't interrupt their program for reading the children's story to the kids. and That won't interrupt, you know, you know, real ministers of God living by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Church is not number three. 
down the list. Where, yeah, I'm a Christian, but number one in my life is family. Number two in my life is career. Number three in my life is maybe church. All this is going to be sifted and and dealt with by the Lord. It, it, It has to be. It has to be. And I hate even talking about one, two, three like that. I don't like doing that. You see, because some people living by the law of works, they put what I just said was number three, church. They put it number one. And so they're never home. They're never caring for their wife and their children. You understand what I mean? They're living by a wrong law. You, you get me? And they, they, they put it wrong. And, and this is why the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus must make us enslaved. You know, to his will, to his mind, to his ways, to sowing to the spirit. And, you know, there's no real minister of God who gave himself to the word and to what he had received because once you have received something from God you've got to treasure that and you've got to deliver that and Paul when he's talking like this and writing like this that he received that Christ died for our sins verse 3 in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I love this, that um, I like the way Paul twice mentions in accordance with the scriptures. What I received was not individualistic. It wasn't some private interpretation. What I received was in the flow of what was already in the scriptures. Amen? Amen. It's important. It's important. No innovator was Paul. No someone who's getting some private revelation. It's all in accordance with the scriptures. And we could say that utterly, utterly true. Even today, you see, Anything that a so-called prophet receives today must be in accordance with the scriptures. Otherwise, he's not received it from God. He's, he's deluded. And then Paul carries on talking about himself, that he appeared to brethren, uh, 500 at one time actually, And then in verse 7 he says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And none of us know exactly what Paul means by that. You know, did he have a personal appearing of the Lord Jesus to him? Probably, you see, 
probably. But he appeared to him. So he's alive. And then verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Now, you just think of all us brothers and sisters sitting here this evening. You know, can you say, I have received and am receiving grace, the grace of God, and it's not been in vain. It's not in vain. I am what I am, not by my own endeavors, my own. You know, the grace of God comes in manifold ways. The, the riches of his grace is how Paul puts it in the Ephesian letter. The riches of his grace. Grace is winning. It wins you. Grace is shocking. It's, it shocks you with its, it, its sheer abundance. Grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. You see, this is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus working in Paul. Grace, grace, grace. It's the law of his life. He's traveled incredibly in his thinking away from just living by a code. He, he's living in a vibrant relationship of graciousness. And this grace so worked in him that it, he says this, um, his grace was not in vain, middle of verse 10, on the contrary, I worked harder. Isn't that incredible? The, the grace, I mean, I said to the leader of our little fellowship this morning when we were talking with a young man and uh, I, I was saying to these two, I said to the young man, I said, you understand what God will do with you if you really go on? You'll work harder. Grace. The law of, the, of grace at work in you will make, and I said, just like brother, who's the leader here, first in, last out. What am I talking about? You know, if you have a meeting in a hall, first in, last out, you work harder. <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. 
You see, the, the grace doesn't make you lay back, you know. Oh, well, I can do anything. I'm free, you know. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, you know. It makes you work harder. Please, God, love people. See the church flourish. Give yourself to one here and one there. Lovely. You know, I had an email today from a a brother in Canada. And, uh, you know, when we were home in our uh, apartment, we lived in an apartment block in Canada, when we were home, this man would turn up after work and he would come at all kinds of times and we'd sit and we'd talk and I'd make coffee and we'd get, you'd eat a bit and so on and so forth. And, and then we left Canada after three years. And then we visited again and I said to him, I said, brother, I think it was pretty sad three years for us in Canada uh, it was a difficult time blah blah and he said, to, he said to me this he said if you hadn't come he said I don't know where I would be you see we gave ourselves to him gladly it's the law of the life it's You become a slave to all. That's the thing. You you work harder. Grace makes you work harder. And it's weird, isn't it? You know, because do you sweat? Well, sometimes, yes. Does it wear you out? A bit. But it doesn't make you break down. And neither does it make you burn out. And I say that advisedly. Because grace is energetic. Grace is quickening. Grace is renewing. So that even while you're in the work, you know, a lady wrote to me and said, you know, she sent me this uh, text, what do you call it, messenger, and I just finished this meeting. It was 2.30 in the morning. And I'd finished this meeting and she decided to send me a messenger text. And she said to me, she'd been on the meeting. And she said, does it quicken you or wear you out? That's what she said to me. And I said, I wrote back straight away. I said, it doesn't wear me out. I said, in fact, I shall have difficulty getting to sleep <laughs> because it's so quickening. It's so quickening. It's his grace. You see, we don't know as much as we should about this life that's in Christ Jesus, this law of, of church life. You know, church life, true church life in the last days. 
You know, it's to do with this liberality of grace. It's to do with this, <laughs> you know, oh, don't you love the cross? Don't you love the, the image of the cross? Don't you love the outspread arms of the cross? Don't you love the vertical of the cross? where heaven and earth are touching? Don't you love this kind of life more and more, where, you know, it's the life of grace. It makes your work harder than ever, you see, and it makes you incredibly sort of, well, Paul said it's, I don't know whether I want to go. To, to go would be far better, but to stay would be much better for you. Um, you know how he talks like that? I, I, I know what he's getting at. You know, because he wants to be more of a channel in his old age of the, of the bounty of God. The bounty of God and it makes you feel grieved when when meetings and you know the preciousness of everyone who's born of God's spirit who's in a meeting who has you have all received something from God freely it was given you now give it. Give it. Don't allow yourselves to be closed down. Don't let disappointment in the church sour your spirit that then begins to close you down. People, are, I'm just thinking, Hazel and I were talking uh, on the way to the uh, meeting tonight and... Um, we were just talking about the effects of masonry in a family we know. And some of the people in that family, they're Christians. But, you know, they're not masons. They're the children of masons or the grandchildren of masons. But I can see the effects of the, of the power of the Masonic order that is sitting on those children some of whom are in their 40s, sitting on those children and closing them down. That's what the spirit of this world does in its many forms that comes. You know, binding people, the fear of losing their job, the fear, oh, blessed opportunity. You know, when when these safe zones break down so that we can begin to be more perfectly enslaved, enslave ourselves to God and his ways and enter into the richness. And if you want to know something, understand that your crumb, you say, I've only got a crumb. To some people, your crumb will be a loaf. That's very important. 
So don't wait until I can't do anything until I've got a loaf. Use the crumb. What have you got in the house? Said, uh, which one was it, Elisha or Elijah? Either of them, I can't remember. What have you got in the house? Oh, I've got this pot of oil. Little pot of oil. I'll go and gather all the pots. Go and gather all the pots. Go on, gather all the empty pots in the village. And, and they went and they gathered all the pots and they brought them. And now pour out. No, now pour out. Now pour out. And, and they, they, they began to pour out. Elijah didn't do the pouring out. Was it Elijah or Elisha? Someone help me. But anyway, that's, you got it? Say Elijah? Yeah, Mark says it's Elijah. We'll see if he's right. <laughs> I'm sure he's right. But, you know, they did the pouring out. Haven't you got any more left? No, no, everything's full. See, that's church. That's true church. What have you got in the house? I mean, I mean this with all my heart. You know, if only a pastor and a leader who's full of oil will begin to pour himself out. Some of the empty vessels that are in that congregation or there, they'll get filled. And another, and another, and another. This is the simplicity, you see. What have you got in the house? Hallelujah. We're talking about this law of true church. It's not some, I believe it's coming, you see. I believe that the restrictive powers of government will encroach increasingly upon God's people. That you will not be free to do as you have done in the past and gather as you please. This is a dry run. These are shots across the church's bow that we are experiencing now. Warning shots that are saying, trim your sails. Trim your sails so that you can sail in the gale that's coming. In the, in, get ready. Get ready. Enslave yourself to God and his will and his ways. I guess I should stop. I've no idea. Oh, there's a clock up there. Amen. Amen. I've only said a little of what I want to do. Um, I want to say something if, if we're going to have one next week. I want to carry on in 1 Corinthians but I know this. You know one of the things in the book of the Revelation you remember that John saw Jesus and Jesus began to speak to the churches. You remember that? Sending these letters And each letter begins like this. 
to the angel of the church. The angel of the church. You have left your first love. Who are these angels? He holds them. They're stars in his right hand. That's what they look like to John. And you know that in each church there are messengers. The word angel can be translated messenger. And there are messengers in each church so the little church that we are part of, there are several people who would constitute the messenger of that church through whom that ministry chiefly comes. So this would be true of Aurora, This would be true of Exeter. The brothers from Exeter are not here tonight. Uh, This would be true, you, you understand, of the Baptist church up the road. There are chief messengers. They are the light bringers. Like stars. They're not the sun, S-U-N, but they're stars that enlighten. And the decline in churches begins with the messengers. You have lost or left your first love. You, this, you tolerate that corrupting influence of Jezebel. You do it. And so the, the other lessons. And these men and women bring in a spirit to the church. And they influence and shape it and mould it, inhibit it, prevent it. This is serious and all those of us who have been uh, in places of leadership and ministerial responsibility in churches. We have to understand this about ourselves. This is why we need to listen to Paul. We need to listen to John. We need to listen and understand the seriousness of our role and responsibility and what a terrible thing you've left your first love you that's how he he speaks to the angel of the church in Ephesus we know you do this and we know your works but but and he says to the angel of the church in Laodicea you think you're rich And these are things whereas they've ceased living by the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus.
they've ceased. But Paul, he lived by that law, he carried on. And not only carried on, he went into this bounty of God. Uh, I've worked harder than them all, <laughs> by the grace I mean, you do realize that Paul, if you met him, he'd seem to be half a dozen men rolled into one. Do you realize that? That's what God makes men and women who go on with God. Again, a conversation this week with someone. And uh, they, they they were talking and we were chatting a little bit and uh, oh he said he's a leader he said oh uh, everybody seems to want um, this meek and lovely Jesus lovey 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 you see and uh, he's going on like this and getting a bit annoyed you know it's wrong isn't it you know we, we need a you know, and so on. I, sa- I said, I'll tell you, brother, what we need is in the book of the Revelation. You find he looks like a lion. No, he looks like a lamb. Oh, but he's a strange lamb because he's got horns. Oh, and he's even stranger still because he... He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. Well, you've got four things there straight away. There's something about Jesus that's like a defenseless lamb. So tender. And yet, he's got eyes and horns where he sees and discerns and has authority. And yet, he's like a lion. Wow. Is he going to eat me up? What was it old C.S. Lewis said in one of those Narnia things? You know, about uh, the lion. That One of the children says something about the lion. Can you remember? Uh, I don't want to get another thing wrong. I already got Elisha wrong. <laughs> it was Elisha, not Elisha. Okay. <laughs> of course he's not safe. That's right. Of course he's not safe, but he is good. Yes. The lion, Aslan. You know, I know someone who's got a cat called Aslan. But anyway. (laughs) But, uh, you know, of course he's not safe, but he's good. The lion. And yet, at the same time, he's got this sword. That's what I mean by, as you go on, a, a man and a woman becomes, you understand? Not, you know, once you've seen him once, you know, he's, he's all sword and no lamb. Or he's all lamb and no sword. You know, the spirit of God, the law of his life. This is true church and true church ministers. I've tried to say something about tonight. So there you are. Amen. Amen. (laughs) 
Hallelujah. To be continued. Isn't it? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Ah, when, when I was upon the earth and gathered those men and those women, there was a work going on in the deeps of their hearts, a work going on that they scarcely knew was taking place, but the gates of their hearts were being lifted up and the doors of their lives were being lifted up lifted up to what they did not know and could not define save that they knew that they were being brought to a place of emptying and yet opening Emptying and yet opening. Mm. Emptying and opening. And behold, there were scores of them. And the gates were opened. And they were together of one mind that the King of Glory should enter in. And behold, by the Spirit, on the day appointed by the Father, the King of glory, by the Spirit, entered into the open gates and the open doors that had been lifted up. No longer closed, but opened no longer closed by their religion, no longer closed by their sinfulness, no longer closed by their failure, no longer closed by their disappointment, but they had been brought to that place where the doors were opened and the gates were opened and lifted up and the King of Glory could come in. And this is what I seek for in all your hearts. This is the way that I work so that the things that have closed you, the things that have shut you down, the things of failure, things of past, things that have been disillusioning things, whatever. I lead you to the place where there's utter openness and this is my promise, the King of glory shall enter in by the Spirit. And when there are three or four or a score or two score or however many of whatever age or whether male or female or whether bond or free 
Oh, whether rich or poor, where the gates are open, the city of man's soul shall be filled to overflowing. And the Lord of glory shall enter in. And so it shall be that there shall be light in the area where the cities of man's souls are opened like that. There shall be more light shining and darkness shall be chased away by the light. And in that place the kingdom shall come as it has not come before.